everyone. Welcome to the University of Alberta's Women Empowering Women podcast, Blue Chats. First, we would like to recognize that we are located on Treaty 6 territory and that we respect the histories, languages, and cultures of First Nations, Métis, Inuit, and all First Peoples of Canada, whose presence continues to enrich our community. For those that are returning, welcome back. And for brand new listeners, welcome. My name is Herman, and I go by the pronouns she and her. I'm one of the co-hosts. My name is Eileen. I go by the pronouns she slash her, and I'm also one of your co-hosts. As a reminder to our listeners, Women Empowering Women is a student-led group working with Mesa Homes to eliminate violence against immigrant and refugee women. With that said, we have very special guests joining us today, the executive members of our student group, Women Empowering Women. First, our president, Umeima Mirza. Our director of volunteers, Ipinu Fatukan, and our VP external, Laiba Rehman. To get started, I would love for all of you to greet our listeners, tell us a little bit more about yourselves and your role in Women Empowering Women. All right, so hi, I'm Omeima, and I go by she, her, um, and like Eileen mentioned, I am the president of WU, and this is my second year being a part of this organization. In my first year, I was, in my first year at WU, I was VP external. Um, and so as president, my responsibilities have transitioned nicely from my role as external to now. Um, I am still facilitating a lot of communication with NISA homes and just managing day-to-day uh, tasks with the rest of the team and make sure that we're all flowing smoothly. Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Ipinu Fadikin. I am a student at the U of A, um, and I am the director of volunteers for Women Empowering Women. I have been director of volunteers for over a year now. Um, I've enjoyed my work with WU. Um, I've been able to not just do my job as director of volunteers, but also um, give advice and insight and also brainstorm on a lot of other projects that we do, which I think is really awesome in our exec team. But as director of volunteers, it's mainly my job to direct the volunteers and um, make sure everything's running smoothly in terms of group interactions, make sure everyone's happy, make sure everyone's not fighting, (laughs) um, and that we're able to get our work done properly. So I enjoy my work behind the scenes, but I like the opportunities I get to also help out with the awesome stuff we do in other departments. Hi, I'm Laiba. Uh, My pronouns are she and her. This is also my second year at WU. I started off as content director, which we now call VP of blogs or VP of content. Um, VP external now, I get to handle all the social media. Um, Follow us on Instagram, UA underscore review, if you haven't already. Um, That's where you'll find all the education posts we have going up every week, updates on all our events, um, making all the posters and all that. Been super fun to do with the committee and yeah. So you all listed your roles on the executive team. Um, My question really is, what made you all want to run for these roles in WU? Um, I think for me, out of more than anything, it was just honestly curiosity at first. Uh, I had seen that Jana, who is our founder, she was looking to start this group to support Nissa Homes. And once I read a little bit about what her plans were, I was just really intrigued. Um, And I honestly didn't think that 
we would be able to have accomplished so much in the past year, year and a half, especially with COVID. And we really started at the height of COVID. And so we've just been battling uncertainty after uncertainty. So it's been really exciting to kind of lead this group throughout this really interesting time. I would definitely echo the curiosity thing um, for me with my career goals and where I want to go after my undergrad degree. Um, I wanted to avoid doing the exact same thing constantly um, in all of my extracurriculars. And so I always try to look for different ways to get involved, um, like teaching kids. I really like kids, so I do like teaching kids music and stuff like that. So I was looking for something a little bit more for me personally. Um, and so when I heard the name <laughs> Women Empowering Women, at first I was like, that's a little bold. Um, and I don't know, even just the name made me like uncomfortable at first. And like something told me that that was the kind of discomfort I needed. Like I'd been playing it safe with just the ways I was getting involved in things. And I think taking a bold stance as saying like, I'm here to empower other women. Um, there's something about it that I said, you know what? Like, I feel like this group, I will get to grow others and I'll get to grow myself. Um, and so I sent an email and I was like, hey, you're looking for anybody. Um, and they were looking for a director of volunteers. And I was like, I have never done that. Um, and the rest is history. So definitely curiosity and just a desire to push myself more than I typically do. I would have to agree. Also, I found out about you like through Instagram, like I got a request one day. And at first I was really unsure about it but looking more at like the posts and like everything they stood for kind of match up with a lot of my values and I never really put myself in a position like that where I could put myself out there and like you said push myself um I always said like keep myself in a safe little corner but I didn't want to always do that I wanted to be able to like um you know get myself out of the little like corner that I was in and get out of my shell and definitely we was helped with that and the team has all been like so so incredible so i always have to stay for a year and all the things we do is also just so incredible and you just so empowering honestly like not to be cliche but like it genuinely is so empowering here i love to hear that so now not only are you all like amazing execs but you are also students so how has it been to like juggle both the academic aspect of university but then also the involvement of extracurricular on clubs on campus. How has that been so far? In an ideal world, I would say it involves a lot of planning and scheduling and abiding by those plans. But more realistically, it is just a day-to-day what is my focus going to be today and what is more urgent. Um, you know, we are only human and as many studies have shown that even if we think we're good at multitasking, we actually are not that good. And so uh, at least for me, I think it's more helpful to be more uni-focused or uni-focused meaning single-minded, not really uni only. Um, but so some days I will focus just on exams and studying, catching up on lecture content. And on other days I will focus on WU and my other extracurriculars. But I will say as much of a struggle as it has been in certain aspects uh, navigating throughout the pandemic, it's also been a little bit of a privilege because we have online asynchronous content that we can go back to at any moment that we need. Um, and so I think that has definitely helped just scheduling everything and planning ahead. 
I would definitely agree. Um, when the pandemic started, that was around the time <clears throat> I got into Woo. Um, and for some reason, I thought it'd be great to sign up for multiple things at once um, because I wasn't doing anything in my first year. My first year was very rocky. So I was very excited, like after my second year to, you know, just get into that stride and start volunteering and things. Um, and it was a very big panic when I realized how many roles I had signed up for. Um, but I think one thing that really just kept me going was that the things I signed up for, I was passionate about. And so I feel like school's going to be hard. Like my major's not fun all the time, but I enjoy what I learn and all the roles that I take on. Also, I enjoy working with the people I work with. And I feel like if I didn't, it'd be 10 times more difficult to, you know, some days I have to stay up. Um, I know in our earlier days when we had to work on restructuring and like the constitution that is hours of reading the same paper over and over again or chasing people down to discuss things and if I wasn't passionate about what we did it would be a nightmare to do so I think the passion I had for what I signed up for kind of saved me when I was overwhelmed and overworked was that I cared about everything I did and I just communicated that to the people around me I'm like hey this week I would love to give you 110 but I have this many midterms or I have this other club that they need me in my role, in my full capacity. So I think there's often a little, not stigma, but like people don't want to tell their clubs that, oh, I work with other people. Um, but sometimes you just got to be honest because they're going to figure it out anyways. I think as director of volunteers, I've noticed that like when some people are like, oh, I'm fully committed. Um, and then I notice I'm like, no, you have a lot on your plate and it's okay to tell me that. So we adjust accordingly. And I recognize that when I drop the ball, it, it affects other people too. So it's not fair for me to just kind of do that in silence, but I try and communicate as much as possible. I plan. I know we just dragged on planning, but I plan because <laughs> I feel better at the start of the week. If I'm like, okay, this week we have to get this done, this done, this done. I then to, I then ignore those plans, but I planned and that's all that mattered. <laughs> No, yeah, I think I definitely schedule. I'm super strict with my scheduling stuff. Like I have a daily planner that I have to update every week. And if I don't take off like all the tasks, I get so mad. So like, and also just like everyone on the team is so accommodating and understanding too, that like, if I know I'm going to be slacking a little bit and not be able to give you 110%, I can let the girls know and they will 100% be like, okay, cool. Let us know if you need any help with anything. So that always does help keeping a balance with things because you're not sitting there stressed, like I'm too scared to tell them that I'm gonna like flop at my jaw basically, <laughs> you know, but you'd also don't wanna like make your grades go down. So it's super nice being able to communicate and have everyone like accommodate for one another. You know, considering how this group started during COVID as you guys mentioned before, it honestly really is amazing uh, how far this group really went. Cause when I joined, I was surprised when I, uh, found out that it started that same time when I found out about it because um, it felt like it's been a club that had been around forever um, so I definitely give you guys props for you know running it as smooth as you guys have um, but so now we're just going to shift towards some more personal questions so who here is a first generation university student and if you are how has the experience been in navigating through your higher education and if not um, have you had any different experiences maybe What a loaded question. <laughs> That's not what I was really expecting, but um, I, I guess my answer to that would be yes and no. Uh, no in the sense that both my parents have 
gone to university, but yes, in the sense that they uh, completed their education back home. Um, and so I would say that I'm the first one to go to school in a Western society. Um, and I think that it makes a really big difference in not only how I conduct myself in public, but just what I, my communication at home and what I bring back and just trying to figure out my identity so I can accommodate both aspects without sacrificing too much. Um, and so it's been a struggle. Like I won't say it's easy and I won't say I figured myself out yet. And I think that's okay. Um, especially being in fourth year, a lot of us have this pressure, whether it's intrinsic or from our families and from our friends that we should know our lives and should have ourselves figured out. We should know, okay, in the next five years, I'm going to be at this point. Next 10 years, I'm going to do this. And next 15, I'm already going to have like my retirement savings or something like that, you know, really ridiculous. Um, and so I think for me, I've had to practice a lot of patience and kindness with myself and saying, it's okay if I stumble a little bit, it's okay if I, you know, I'm not getting those A pluses that I used to get in high school really easily. Um, and really focusing on the learning aspect of university and not just in an academic sense, but in my social relationships and my passions and everything like that. I would um, echo, but also not echo. Um, I guess I have the privilege that both of my parents um, did go to school at a higher level. Um, my dad did his degrees back in Nigeria, um, where I was born. Um, but my mom, when I was small, she actually got a PhD in Australia while she was raising me by herself, um, which is great as it's like a role model to look up to. Um, but it also, I think, gives me the same pressure um, that I tend to not be forgiving of myself because again, like she raised, she raised me by herself in a country where she had no friends, no family, um, for seven, eight years and got a PhD and I wake up fully cooked meals and I get to school and I have a panic attack. <laughs> so it was very difficult for me at first to be gentle on myself, um, and recognize those differences. Um, I know my dad was very, open and telling me like you know what you're on your own journey and appreciate that journey that you're on um my mother being the mother that she is the lovely one that she is she's a little less understanding um and so I think that was something I actually had to work on in my relationship with both of them was establishing those boundaries um and something my mom now says is like oh she doesn't have to give me a good kick in the butt anymore because she knows when I've done that to myself and that's something she didn't recognize before and so then I would nag on myself in my head and then she would come in and it's just not great. Right? So I definitely had to learn how to communicate with my parents. Um, and then I'm an only child. And so that's another layer as an only child, um, as the only female, <laughs> um, there is also a little bit of overprotectiveness that they had um, that was kind of interfering with me, getting what I needed done. Um, and that was something I also had to bridge. But the one thing I will say I'm definitely grateful for because of their own experiences, they have placed emphasis on my education. And if I tell them like, I need something for my education, they will move mountains. And I really thank them for that because it's really mountains or an iPad um, <laughs> to, get, to get what I need done. If I say I need it for school, anything drops. But I think getting to a point with them where they recognize my mental health is also school was a bit of the struggle because for them, school was the academics. It's the GPA. Um, 
they've both gone through very traumatic things during their academic years. Um, and so for me, when I'm telling them, hey, not having a great mental day, my mom's like, what does that mean? <laughs> and so that was something I had to navigate and it was very difficult. And I won't lie and say we're past it. Um, we still discuss it, but I think I'm a little bit more open to say, hey, hey, like it's a legitimate concern now. Um, and I need that space to get my mind right, to get the grades that I know I can do. But yeah, it was definitely a jump from high school to university um, that I definitely, me and my ego were not expecting. <laughs> yeah, no, for me, I guess the being the eldest daughter plays a big role in it too, because my parents sit there and like, I'm obviously like the trial run because I'm the eldest. So everything I do, all the experience that I have is going to reflect on how my little brother, my sister, how it's going to like go on for them. And I always have to like keep that in mind that like, okay, I'm in school. I have to be a good role model for them because my brother, he's like nine years younger than I am. My sister's only two years younger than I am, but whatever I do, they really both do look up to me a lot. And my parents always come to me like, okay, whatever we didn't do with you, how can we do it here? <laughs> you know? And I guess in that way, it's kind of helped like being able to communicate a lot more because I've been able to tell them like, hey, like a lot of times you guys were like really strict on like certain things, like especially when it came to like, it got like in the way of school and stuff um, because of just how like protected you are, which I totally understand, right? But you got to like ease up on like the little ones over here because it can really like, damage your relationship with them and having to explain that to them like it's a little rocky process like you said but I mean it's never like you're never going to really make, make it all the way at the end there's always like more things to work on so yeah no my parents are definitely like really supportive like now which has changed a lot which we love and there's more things to come um but yeah, for me, like definitely the eldest sister bit is like the biggest part in my case. So like majority of us here are women of color. You all are women of color. So um, regarding that background, how has that shaped in a way your experience at university? Um, you know, whether it be, I know for myself, for example, um, I haven't had a lot of professors that are people of color or women a lot. So how has that been for you? Um, for me, so I have a French minor um, and French, <laughs> it is something that I really enjoy and I love learning the language and the culture and everything, but something with French and just France in general, um, they're a very Catholic society and that translates a lot in their works and it translates a lot in the educational space as well. Um, and there is uh, some, there's, they're very protective of their culture and that translates into some racist ideals, I will freely say. Um, and those racist ideals are usually directed towards Muslims and visibly Muslim women, such as myself, who wears a hijab, who is brown skinned. Um, and so every time I sign up for a French class, anytime anyone signs up for a class, they look up their rate my profs, but I'm not only looking for what are their assignments like, I'm also looking for, do are they racist? Do they, well, how do they feel about Muslim women? and for some reason, every French class that I've taken, we always have a chapter on Islamophobia or their treatment of Muslim women. And I feel 
very targeted if I'm being honest I feel like my prof is looking to me for approval or for my suggestions and I'm like hey I'm literally 18 like I don't know what I'm doing any more than you do like why are you looking towards me um and I've even had profs where they've said oh I saw you make a face today while I was talking are you okay and I'm like maybe that's just my face why are you so particular about me um, and so sometimes I've even considered maybe dropping French minor and taking something that is more, uh, I guess, like apolitical. Uh, but then I'm like, why? Why should I sacrifice my passions to make other people comfortable? Um, and so it's something that I still struggle with because I don't want to be that angry woman of color. I don't want to be the angry hijabi but sometimes I have to be, sometimes I have to stand up for not even my people, but for myself. Um, and so I definitely sometimes feel like I get those stares. Um, even when I walk across campus, sometimes I feel like people are looking at me weird. Um, I, I used to take public transit every day and my experiences were mixed. Sometimes I had really great experiences. Um, I've had people ask me if they could sit next to me just out of kindness because they know that some Muslim women don't or they prefer to avoid contact with the other gender. Um, and that's really kind of them to ask. I don't mind, but I really appreciate that they do ask. Sometimes I've just had really bad experiences where people will act like I'm not there and they'll sit on my stuff instead of asking me to move it or saying stuff to me or I don't know it's just really invasive um and so sometimes I wish I could just be a student and that's all people would see when they look at me but I know that's not the reality um and I know to an extent when people see me they don't see me for me they see me as reputation a representation sorry of this whole other group um so there is so much pressure but it's like what can you do and I wish I had a solution for everyone but it's just something I've had to come to terms with and realize that okay at the end of the day I'm only responsible for myself and um as long as I'm not getting too hurt by other people then I can just hopefully block out the noise and continue on my way um yeah I definitely echo that there was always a desire I think once I got to university to to be a student um and to be me first and foremost, before what you see externally. Um, but that was something I first actually had to do for myself. Um, I grew up in Australia, um, in a city that was very diverse, um, Brisbane. Um, and so I wasn't, I say it as a joke, but I really wasn't acutely aware of my identity because in my class, I was not the darkest kid. So there was nobody calling me names based on the color of my skin because again, there's kids five shades darker than me and nobody ever picked on me for that so I wasn't acutely aware until um the fortunate day my parents decided that we were going to move to Canada um and I moved to a beautiful town um of 900 people um where we were the only family of color um and I was the only black kid from kindergarten to grade 12 and um like I said I was a fish out of water <laughs> Uh, it was hard because one, like I said, I wasn't acutely aware of my identity until I got there. Um, and to be made aware of the skin that you carry and who you carry other than yourself in such a hateful manner, it's horrid. It's, it's horrid. 
Um, and I won't get into details of what I went through, um, but it did leave me with a lot of mental issues, if you would. Um, and they manifested themselves in so many different ways. Um, anxiety, um, genuine panic attacks. Um, I used to have those constantly. I'd have two to three panic attacks a day. Um, I would, it was just tough. It was tough mentally knowing that I was carrying the reputation of Black people everywhere. I didn't sign up for that. And no matter what I did, they didn't care. Like I wasn't the student that mucked off or wasn't paying attention. I had great relationships with my teachers, actually. Um, we joked around all that stuff. And I made it my point to put my best in every class that I did. And so when I graduated, I was second in my class. But it always felt that that was never good enough. Um, I always had to be accommodating. I always had to be nice. Um, people would call me the N-word and then turn around and ask me for help on their homework. And if I dared to say no, I would be met with such verbal abuse that I would mentally be like, oh yeah, I, why did I even think I should say no? So I felt growing up in that space, I had no right to say no. I had no right to my persons. I had no right to my intelligence. Um, and it was tough. And so I was very excited to move to university and get away from all of that. Um, but like, as I mentioned, I just feel like I didn't anticipate how much was left internally. I felt that, you know what, once I get rid of this external, um, all of these kids, once I leave all of them, because not many of them made it to university, because um, that wasn't a priority in our town. I was like, once I get rid of all these people and I get to these spaces that are diverse, like I'm set, I'm good everything goes away. And first year knocked me on my butt and I realized, no, I have stuff to work on internally because that mentality of carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders didn't just disappear because nobody else was externally telling me I represented people. That overt desire to bite my tongue every time somebody says something that I'm like, you should not be saying that to me or to anybody else. Like my closest friends know I'm outspoken. And so when I tell them the stuff I went through growing up, they'd be like, huh? And you didn't say anything? And like I said, I felt like I had no right to. And so it was definitely tough for me once I got to university. And then I'm a woman in STEM. <laughs> and STEM is not colored at all. Not in the slightest. And it's honestly a joke when people say it is. Um, if you think it is, that's great, but it's not. And I would encounter women professors. That's great. I would encounter decent professors. Like, I don't think I ever encountered a situation where I felt my professor perpetuated something against me. But there's always that weight of that I walk into the CSIS lecture hall. It's 500 seats. Maybe there's 20, 30 Black kids. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. And so it, it, wasn't, it wasn't like I was looking for them. <laughs> but I was like, where are y'all at? And in the end, once I started going into spaces like the Black Students Association, um, the Black Students Association and like other spaces where I was encountering people of color, Black people, Black women, um, I was faced with another challenge, which was like, what do I define my Blackness as? Because who I am as a Black woman won't be the same as the girl who grew up in Edmonton going to a school where there were all Black girls. And I felt like I had to put on this caricature, if you would, of fitting in with those people. 
in the ways I spoke, in the music I listened to, in the things that I liked. And I had to come to terms with the fact that we're all on different journeys. I wasn't in the same space you were. It'd be great if all Black people could define ourselves as one thing, but the whole point is that we cannot. We come from different places. We, we've experienced different things. And so I had to get comfortable with the fact that my Blackness is what I define myself to be. I am first and foremost me, and what makes me me is then what makes me a Black woman. Not that what being a Black woman is has to define who I am. And once I got comfortable with that, it took a while, and I'm still a little uncomfortable in some places, but it definitely got better for me mentally. Um, and even when I got into certain spaces like research, my entire lab is white, um, minus like a few people. Um, but one thing that was really cool is when I got there, my professor was encouraging me to think in ways that included racism. Like he posed a question. He was like, all the papers that you read on this, this disease, because I study Parkinson's disease, he was like, all of these groups that you studied, what are the study populations? What are those made up of? And I'm like, white people. And he's like, so then can we say that we know how Parkinson's disease works? Or do we know how Parkinson's disease works in white people? I was like, oh, well, can I think like that? That's crazy. <laughs> and there's so many things that I was like, can I think like that? And I, I found myself at several points being like, mentally asking for permission to explore my curiosity. And I think that's where Wu was one of those first places where I was able to just explore that curiosity. Yeah, no, um, I would definitely agree with both those. Uh, I grew up in Fort Mac. Um, a good chunk of Fort Mac is Pakistani and is Muslim. So I didn't really have like, I wasn't like a being said, like I wasn't aware of any of that back in Fort Mac. But when I came to Edmonton for university, that's kind of when it started to hit. Because people obviously like, they don't know me like they do in Fort Mac. Because in Fort Mac, everyone was everyone. We're a small little city. But come here and I introduce myself to people. And they're like, oh, like, where are you from or whatever? And I'd say I'm from Pakistan. And they're like, oh, so you're probably a Muslim, right? And I'm like, yes. And then here comes all the comments. And that's where intersectionality comes into play. And you got like the racist comments, got the Islamophobic comments, got the sexist comments. And it got to the point where I would just stop introducing myself to people. So like how I mentioned earlier, I was in this like little corner where I didn't let myself out. That's where I was at. My only friends at first were literally my two friends that I went to high school with. I grew up with them because I just didn't want to reach out to new people because I didn't want to be seen as whatever idea they have of Pakistanis in their head or whatever idea they have of Muslims in their head. And same thing with profs. I would never reach out to my professors because I didn't want to have the same reaction from them the way I did from some students in my class. Group projects used to scare the living hell out of me. But then, and then starting with social work, because I'm a social work student, a lot of our classes, not even all, a lot, every single one of our classes tackles racism and we talk about these things, but literally 90% of my class is white. So it's kind of just odd. Like everyone just kind of looks at you then because there's only three Muslims in my class in my entire program, actually. Two of us are from Pakistan, one is from Iran, and one of them is a visible Muslim. And anytime it came to things like going wrong, you'd always have like examples of like Muslims being the, um, which, the victims or whatever, or then Pakistanis being the Muslim, or just like brown people in general. And you're just stuck in this little pool. And everyone just kind of looks like, they don't want to show it, but you can just see the pity that they have in their eyes 
especially when it comes to like group projects where you have to talk about these things. And it got to the point where in classes, like, and we're talking about certain situations where I know I have a better perspective on it because it's something I've been through, but I'm too scared to speak out about it in class because I don't want the all eyes on me. And I don't want people to look at me like that. I don't want people to think that like, oh, like you have some like dark tragic past or whatever. Like, even though it's a constant, like dealing with race and Islamophobia is a constant that we all have to deal with. But when people start to hear those, I guess like the things you've been through, I don't, for lack of a better word, trauma, I guess. But when they hear all that, that's all they find you as. And I've been working on healing from that because there is nothing wrong with the things that you've been through. There's nothing wrong with who you are. I am a Pakistani Muslim woman and I'm proud of that. It took me a long time to get here, but always still working towards it. And there was even, oh my God, there's some times in class where like, some of my classmates found out that I was Muslim because I was talking to the other Muslim girl in our class because I was like, fellow Muslim, you know, like, let's be friends. Um, and he started asking us like a lot of weird questions. I'm like, first of all, we're in a social, we're in social work here. How did you get here? And you don't have the slightest idea of how to talk to anyone that isn't white. Like he was asking the most absurd questions. I've had people tell me when I'm, when they ask me where I'm from and I say Pakistan, they will apologize to me. It's nothing to apologize for. They're like, oh my God. So like, must be awful back home, hey? Like, no, my family's doing great back home, actually. They're straight vibing. And because I haven't been home as much as I would like to. That's just because like, my dad is super busy with work and stuff. So we don't get to visit as much as I would like to. So people always take that as, oh, you probably don't go back home at much because all the things going on there. And I'm like, what do you think is going on? Like, how are you so cold-minded that you don't even want to like look into what you actually think about and like all these ideas you have in your mind, you really don't want to go and confirm them maybe. Or even if I try telling you that like, hey, nothing's wrong back home, you're going to tell me that I'm wrong. How do you know more than me, buddy? I will never understand that. But yeah, getting out of that shell and being able to like speak out in class and like introduce myself as a Pakistani Muslim has definitely been something that I've been working on. And there's a lot more that I have to improve with that. But like Apinu and Umayma said, I would like to just be seen as a student, not for who I am, not for my background. I'm a student just like the rest of you. And I'd like to keep it that way. Thank you so much, everyone, for you know sharing your stories so far. I'm sure there are a lot of listeners uh, that can relate to those experiences, maybe not to that exact um, same extent, just because everyone, you know, does have their own unique experiences. Um, but, you know, it reminds us that we aren't alone. And it really is empowering when we share similar stories like that. Um, so thank you very much. Um, but with that being said, are there um, any important women in your lives who have impacted you over the course of your lives up to until this point? Um, I think the go-to for everyone is always their mom, uh, regardless of what kind of background she has and how far she's gone in life. It will always be your mom because she is, regardless of how overprotective or helicoptery your parents may be, your mom always has the best intentions out for you. Um, and so just seeing how hard she has worked, you know, leaving her own family's home to live with her husband and then raise these kids in different countries 
not knowing people from the get-go, having to create her own community, having to create her own family away from her actual blood family, um, it has been, it's always going to serve as motivation for me to always do better and in some way be able to pay her back and show her that all her sacrifices were worth it. Um, and so a lot of it, it does feel like I owe her everything that I am right now. Um, and just, I think in more academic spaces, as much as I've had maybe not the best experiences with some teachers, other teachers, even as far as when I was in grade six, they've been really supportive. Um, I've had teachers always encourage me to, rather than sitting in silence, the way that some people, some people perceive Muslim girls to be, they encourage me to speak out. They encourage me to participate in public speaking. They encourage me to go on extracurricular field trips, such as WISE's programs that they offer at the U of A. Um, and I think it's always, it's always a nice reminder that regardless of how many people are thinking of you negatively, there's always at least one person in the room who is going to be rooting for you and who's going to be supporting you. Um, and so I'm really grateful for those experiences. I would definitely agree. My mom is superwoman. Um, yeah, literally, we fight a lot. <laughs> I feel as most like first daughters or uh, daughters in general of immigrant families can relate to is there's that initial friction, especially when you start growing up in a Western culture. Um, and you start having to decide what aspects of your own culture you still fully 100% throw yourself behind. And some that just because of the spaces I've been raised in, I can't just blindly support. And so having those tough conversations where I'm like, hey, bestie, <laughs> I'm not sure I can sign up for that. Um, definitely leads to a little friction. Um, but if there's one person I know that will ride at dawn for me, it's my mother. And she has written at dawn for me <laughs> when, <laughs> when my school said they were not writing, they're not going to run a math program to give background on how small my school was. Uh, they said we didn't have enough students and they couldn't afford to run math 31. So calculus um, and they couldn't afford to run physics. So I came home and I told my mother, I was like, yeah, I'll get into UVA anyways. Like no biggie. It was biggie to my mother. Um, and she went to school every day for two weeks. And she sat in the principal's office and she's like, what do I got to do to get this to run? And she was like, do I pay? And he was like, you cannot pay for a class for students. And mom was like, okay, can I teach the class? And my principal was like, no, you can't. Do you have the credentials? And my mom's like, I have a PhD in environmental physics. Is that good enough? And he was like, no, you don't have a teaching certificate. And my mom's like, how long will it take me to get a certificate? <laughs> Can I get it before next semester? <laughs> and she was there every day for two weeks. My principal came to um, my social studies class. He knocked on the door and he was like, um, is there any way you can get your mother to stop showing up? I was like, um, this is entertaining for me. So no, besides she has nothing to do <laughs> like she helps with my dad's clinic and well it's not tax season so she's not busy so and in the end I got my calculus and my physics class um and like I said right at dawn um my SAT I missed that by accident and she arranged to get me to the next city over on time I remember when I was applying to the states 
um, and she didn't want me to go. So she, we had a fight over that. And I learned to translate what she was saying. It was very anger. And, and I translated, I was like, you're just saying you're going to miss me, huh? <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so when I told her I have an interview in Calgary at this time, um, and it was a snowstorm that weekend, that lady got in her little Toyota Sienna, the little five, five thirty, got in her Toyota Sienna. And she drove through a snowstorm. Like people were parking to the side Mm -mm. she's like well we gotta make it we gotta make it and we made it to Calgary for my interview and so there's been so many things she's done in my life um but I think even the most beautiful thing I think she's done is pursuing her own interests um that PhD she got wasn't for fun it was something she wanted to do and because of that it has always encouraged me to take up space the way I want to because in the end now she just uses it at home to help me and my dad out. Um, but every day I asked her, I remember when I was growing up, I would ask her if she regretted it. And she never once told me she regretted it. And I think that's something I learned from her is the decisions you make, you have to stand by. And as a woman, um, sometimes you are gonna have to make tougher decisions because at the end of the day, she wanted to pursue her career, but at the exact same time with the exact same heart, she wanted to be there for all of my moments. And so she made that decision and it's something she'll stand by to this day, even though I'm like, could I make the same decision for a little, a little annoying brat like myself? Um, not sure I could, but I think that's just something that inspires me every day to get up. It's to take responsibility for what I want to do in the world and what I want to impact in other people's lives. Um, and then aside from, again, the obvious answer of my mother, I would definitely say I've been fortunate to surround myself with some pretty awesome women, um, even just as friends. Um, I think if your friends aren't inspiring you, that's an interesting friend you got there. Because <laughs> um, my best friends inspire me every day. Um, the littlest things, like we're in the exact same classes. Um, so just that push to be better or that push that somebody out there is like rooting for me and she's in that same space with me. And when I feel like, because we also both grew up in small towns. And so when I feel like, you know what, I'm feeling this mentality coming on and I'm, I'm not sure that what I'm observing is right. I'm able to go to my best friend and be like, hey, this is what I'm feeling. Like, is it even valid? And having somebody to validate that for me is just amazing. I'll also echo, I've had some really awesome female profs, but I feel like I can be inspired by any woman I come across. I think I girl crush a little too hard, um, <laughs> especially our exec team at Will. I love those girls, but I find something, <laughs> I find something awesome about the women around me constantly. Like even just like at the movies, like I came out of like Eternals obsessed with Gemma Chan again for like the 15th millionth time, I almost changed my wallpaper. So <laughs> I find it very easy to just find something about the women around me because to be a woman and in the spaces that I see some people in, I'm like, girl, I can't do that. When I hear like some women pushing out kids and then popping right back into medicine, I was like, this toxic space, you came back here and I'm complaining because I had to wake up at eight this morning. I got to go, got to go. Um, so yeah, I definitely find it easy to find inspiration from just everybody around me. No, yeah. Um, 
definitely my mom 110 that woman is my hero good old nasra i love her to death <laughs> um i am the person i am today because of her honestly and she's grown a lot too she's gotten a lot more um accommodating with certain things because we would have those like arguments or we'd have these fights about things that I, I felt were important to me and she didn't find were as important to her but now she's able to like dip her toe into the water and I don't live at home for a university my family's all back in Fort Mac so I'm here so I don't really get to see my family all that much but I call my mom like every single day my dad gets mad about it sometimes he's like you never call me like if I'm in the background then you say hi to me. I'm like listen I'm here to talk to my mom okay <laughs> but even if she doesn't answer and I'll send some like dramatic text being like I get it I moved out and forgot about me she will send me a picture of what she's doing at that moment whether she's at work or like at home or like sometimes she'll even just FaceTime me just so I can watch her cook you know and watching someone that like as my like my mom is a parent as a kid you think your parents have like they have it all figured out you know like they know everything but in reality they don't they're growing too and I've been able to watch my mom grow and my younger sister is, she has autism and epilepsy. The epilepsy was recent and it's taken a huge toll um, on my mom's like stress level and stuff. So I'd always like try to like keep stuff to myself just because I want like, I always give like my sister's a focus. The eldest sister mentality here again, you know? But she always would encourage me that like, hey, no, like we're still figuring this whole thing out like with your sister, but I'm still your mother too. And I want you to be comfortable like to reach out to me whenever you want and for whatever it is sometimes I call her just to tell her that like I stepped on a rock and it hurt you know and she will take it <laughs> and I absolutely love her for it and I also agree with finding inspiration woman everyone like with everyone you come across our family friend group is very close I've known all of my aunties and uncles since I was like a little kid they like took a part in raising me and they've always been there for me in different ways like they'll still text me Am I, if I'm in Edmonton, they will send me food, even, you know, the compassion they've taught me and they've all, they're all incredibly education based. They want us to strive for education. My mom has always been big on that too. She's like, there's no compromise in education. That has to be first. You need to make your, like, you need to make your um, path strong before you can do anything else because you're a woman got to fight for things in this world, much harder than your brother is going to have to, much harder than your dad had to. So you need to have your grounding strong first and whatever you need to have that done, we will do it. Like it took a lot for my parents to let me move out for school. I was at first, like my first semester of uni, I was at Keanu College in Fort Mac <laughs> because my parents weren't ready to let me move out yet. But they finally saw it because Keanu didn't have the course, all the courses that I wanted. So they recognized that and they're like, hey, you know what? Yeah, we're, we're gonna have to let you go for a bit, but like, we'll see you and all that. And my mom did advocate for that a lot for me. And now here I am, like in Edmonton, got my own little apartment with my cat. And like, huge chunk of that was literally because of her. And her, literally everything I do is like for her, for my sister, for all my aunties that are rooting for me. Um, my grandma growing up was also she pushed me to be the best version of myself I could always be not just in academics but just in general too like I know in the South Asian community there's a lot of like stigma around like stretch marks and stuff she used to tell me that they were like her own little tiger stripes to show how strong she was 
And that little five-year-old me like took that and was like, oh my God. So now every time I think of stretch marks, I see my own. I think of being a tiger and how strong I am. And that is because of her. Without that, I, I could be insecure about them, but I love them because of her. All these women in my life and including the girls here at WU are all incredible and have helped me become the best version of myself that I can be as of right now. And I have like, I can never thank them enough for it. Yeah, I just really want to reiterate what Ipino and Live have been saying about taking inspiration from every single woman, whether they come across her on the screen or in their day-to-day interactions. Um, and we can and we should be taking inspiration from all these women every single day. Um, I saw a really interesting comment actually earlier today what, that it's not enough sometimes or it's perceived to not be enough for women to be intellectual, to be doing awesome things. They also have to be pretty. They also have to be taking care of their kids, popping out those babies, even if they have to turn to those toxic environments like med school and other programs. Um, and it is so unrealistic and so insane that we still expect everything of woman every day. Um, you know, there's been, there's a lot to be said about how far we have come in allowing women to exist in these spaces. And it's the allowing term, it's very key that we still have to permit. It's not just acceptable. We have to permit women to exist in certain spaces. Um, but it's just how much has it been for our benefit if we can't just be a career-focused woman. We can't just be a family-oriented mom. We have to be everything all at once in the same 24 hours that a man gets as well. Um, and so the fact that women are able to exist and they have continued to exist and they've continued to thrive regardless of the conditions they have been in and they are in all across the world. And we're still doing so great. We're still achieving so many things, whether it's on our day-to-day -day victories or these massive um, discoveries, uh, that in itself is inspiring just for women everywhere. So as we all mentioned previously, you all come from different backgrounds and have unique experiences. So in that sense, does the culture you grew up in have different expectations for girls compared to boys? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> there is no debate about that. I don't have to think about that question. It's it was a thing and it still is a thing. And unfortunately I expect it to continue to be a thing. And that's not only perpetuated by our societies in general, regardless of where we are, it's perpetuated by our families, by our parents, by our even our own siblings, sometimes even by our own friends. Um, and a lot of that is internalized. A lot of that is unconscious, but the fact that it still exists should be recognized. Um, and so it can go from education for a lot of Muslim women, for a lot of brown women, education isn't seen as a stepping path towards your career. It's seen as something you can put on your little CV for your marriage applications when you're trying to find a man. Um, it's crazy if you see the quote unquote requirements that people have of what they want in their daughter-in-laws. They want them to be, you know, still beautiful, conventionally beautiful, you know, tall enough. They want them to also have a BSc, an MD. Oh, let's add a postgrad in there too. And it's not because they want their daughter-in-law to be working and self-sufficient. They want to be able to brag that, oh my God, my wonderful, amazing son who can do no wrong has, 
is married to this woman who's so educated and successful, but she's at home taking care of the kids. You know, it's not, they don't want her to be successful in her own right. They want her to be successful right underneath the man. Um, and that's just in the academic, more professional sense. In my day-to-day, it's like, I can't stay out late. I Not even late, I can't stay out past sunset. I'm never living in Edmonton, sunset is 4 p.m. I have classes that start at 4 p.m. It's so unrealistic. And that was a battle that I had with my family and I still continue to have that I need to be at school late, whether it's for classes, whether it's for studying, whether it's for other extracurriculars. Um, And it's not that I'll make a habit of it. And quite frankly, sometimes I don't feel safe being on campus after dark, Um, but I have to, it's a necessity sometimes. Um, With my friendships as well, there's so many times I've had to say, no, I can't go out. And for what reason? It's a little too late in the day. Or, you know, I need to help out at home. My mother isn't feeling well. I need to take care of my brother. I need to take care of my dad. I need to handle all the household chores. Um, I remember in my first year, my mom traveled back home to Pakistan for the first time by herself um, in 20 years. And so her stress was, oh my God, how is the house going to be managed in my absence? And she gave me all these guidelines and, you know, all these procedures on how to make sure everything stays clean, how to make sure that there's food on the table every day and take it. I'm in first year, I'm navigating my own personal struggles. And then I had this on my plate too. And even back then, and even now, I still question, I was the only put on me and not my adult father and not my brothers who are one of them is quite close in age he's only four years younger um and I see him where he is now he's 17 18 and at 17 18 I feel like I was I had a lot on my shoulders and his shoulders are still burden free and for you know I can be thankful for that I'm glad that he gets to have his childhood enjoy it fully but there's a part of me that craves that and misses that and there's a part of me that still needs healing from that and you know, maybe it's not really an accomplishment to be mature at a young age. Age, It's a requirement of young girls and women. Um, and I feel like I'm just ranting here. I'm not really, I don't really have an end point. It's just, there's so many bottled emotions. That I don't think I can even explain. Um, it's just something that unfortunately feels like we have to live with. I would definitely second everything you just said tears in my eyes of course um yeah I think my culture too um there's a lot of intersection between religion um Christianity and um culture um and the problem that I'm constantly telling everybody that's a problem especially my father who's a pastor um I don't like imbalance it bothers me like like even on like the smallest scale of like the pillows are not arranged properly like I don't like imbalance (laughs) like if you start a pattern finish it so it's like for me I see a lot of things as patterns um and so if I'm like this person gets a pattern of behavior that they're allowed because they look this way why can't I get that um and so for my culture it's the same thing um it was actually an interesting thing we went back to um my home for a wedding I say my home as in Australia even though I wasn't born there but um we went back for to Australia for a wedding and uh one of our close family friends I consider him to be like my older brother um I literally grew up in their house because 
again, my mom was getting a PhD. She couldn't really actually see me all the time. So we went back for his wedding and um, he was marrying a white woman. And so something I found fascinating is that she's a hairdresser. And I was like, that's such a cool profession. Um, like I took cosmetology in school and boy, oh boy, after one practical, like my back was aching. So like, I definitely respect the profession, but something my mother said that I thought was interesting was that the boy's parents are professors, um, professors of law and professors of business. Um, and she said something that if she had been of my tribe, Yoruba, or she had been Nigerian, they probably wouldn't have allowed him to marry her. I was like, why? She's like, well, she didn't actually go to university. Like she went to a trade school. And I was like, oh, but they're allowing him to marry her now. And my mom was like, yeah, cause she's white. And I was like, what? I was like, so there's a standard for me coming into somebody's family as a person of this culture. And then somebody who's coming from outside the culture to marry into our culture isn't held to the same standard. And I was like, yeah, they're a visitor in the space technically. So you never hold your visitors to the same standard. I said, that's bogus and you know it. Because at the end of the day, it's insane. And the thing that I find so fascinating is that with the progression of society and the pushes within culture to let women into spaces, it's mind boggling to me that people don't understand the goal of feminism and the goal of pushing women into these new spaces is to create balance. It's not that the woman now has to do everything. It's that she's allowed to be a career woman. There were times like I'd be discussing my future career that I wanted to go into and I wanted to do in medicine and how far I see myself going. And my dad would be like, yes, I can see you going that far. I can see you pushing yourself that far. I'd be so proud of you no matter how far you get. But then there'd be subtle comments like, I like to cook, but I don't like to be forced to cook. The moment you expect me to cook, I would rather starve. We will both starve. <laughs> I don't care. I will funnel, skip the dishes into the house. I'm not cooking just because you expect me to because of the body I was born into. That's a joke. And so that used that came up a little bit once I got older with my dad, where he'd be like, oh, you know, what's your husband going to eat when you're older? And I'm like, food? that he cooked with his own hands. And my dad's like, hmm. And I was like, bro, come here. <laughs> and I said, and then I was like, no, because you're telling me to go all the way to neurosurgery. You're telling me to go all the way to surgical practice. You as a doctor know how little time there is. Are you telling me this whole time you're expecting me to then come home and do everything? Then what is my husband supposed to do? He was like, oh, I didn't mean it like that. I was like, mm -mm. pause, pause. And bless his heart again. He has definitely recanted those statements and I've definitely seen him approach it from a better angle, but it's still something that boggles my mind to this day because it's like, now that we're letting women into these spaces, now that we're letting women take charge of these things, like departments, we're letting women become professors, we're letting women do all these things. Why is there that expectation that she then has to come home and do 100% there? Why is it their balance? Because before the argument was, well, a woman's place is at home and like the man is the one that's getting the bread. Sure, if that's how your family dynamic works, I've seen it work really well, as long as both parties respect each other, right? But for some women, that's generally, that's not the picture they want for their lives and that's okay. And they want to be out there getting their own bread. They wanna get bread to contribute to the family. So then the question is, 
if both of y'all are out there getting bread, why can't both of you come home to take care of the home? Because then it's now no longer a man's sole job to get income. And a lot of people, a lot of my male friends will say, oh, I would never marry somebody if she's not working. But then you ask them what they're willing to contribute to the house. And they look at me like I have two heads. And I'm like, but you just said you expect to go 50-50 on earnings, but not 50-50 on the work at home. And I think that's something that my culture has definitely been pushing is that expectation of, it's not even like a well-rounded, it's like excessive. Like one human shouldn't have to shoulder all of that. And it's really sad to see. And then that leads to these women that want to push their careers, having to give it up because it's not feasibly possible to do both at 110%. One has to give and you can't just leave kids to like starve. They would want to do that. So at the end of the day, most mothers give it up. So my, my problem always stems from I'm perfectly with women giving things up. Obviously, that's the whole premise of feminism, that everyone gets to pick their own path as a woman. But I think society now needs to introspect how many women they forced to give up these things in the name of you have to do it all. And I think that's the premise that I see in my culture. And I think something that's my friends, me and my friends, we say a lot of the time too. No, I definitely, I feel like I say this for everything, but I agree with everything if you knew what I was said. Um, it's definitely such a huge culture thing in the Western society, as well as back home. Um, I found a lot of the times, like I really want to go to grad school after I finish my undergrad. And I will tell these things to people in my community and they'll look at me and be like, okay, so you'll get married before grad school, right? You can, you can do your master's when you're married. That'll be like on our little like list of things. Like, can't, will you let her go to um, grad school if you marry her? Like, why is, why is that a thing? And I feel a lot of things in South Asian communities that the woman is seen as someone who's there to essentially be a slave for the men. Their part of being born is that one day you get to give them away to a man, man who's going to go out and do all the um, hard, hard work outside and he comes home and has to be treated like a king. I'm tired too. I've been doing the cooking and the cleaning all day taking care of all these kids. I busted these kids out. And you expect me to do all this stuff now? And you're just going to sit there and watch? So while you watch like the news or like the recent like cricket game or whatever? Absolutely not. I have never understood that. Because it makes no sense to me. And every time I bring this up that this imbalance makes, there's no logic behind it. There truly isn't. And this is where I like to throw in an Islamic story to all my aunties and uncles that there are so many stories about the prophet where he helped out his wife. He helped out in the kitchen, he helped out with the kids. And then everyone looks at me like dumbfounded and they usually like rub off what I say or like switch to the next topic. And that's how you know that even inside they know technically it's wrong and it's mainly like a culture thing, but it's been something that's been passed down through generations over and over and over again with no one really trying to change anything that it's just something they've accepted. So whether or not, like I've had so many times where adult women in my life will tell me like, hey, that's just the way things are. You're just gonna have to accept that. You know, there's no changing that. I'm in a social work field. I am not gonna sit there and accept that. There's, I have nothing to change, that I have to accept things. I'm going to go out and I'm gonna try to change things. And I've seen so many times, like even at family parties growing up, the guys would be allowed to go outside for the 
walks, go across the street to play at the field and stuff. We you know we would ask to go sit on the driveway and be like, no, you can't. And every time I would voice my opinion on how I think all this, this imbalance between a man and a woman in our community, every time I bring that up, they would tell me that good girls don't talk like that. Good girls don't raise their voice, even though I'm talking in normal tone. What are people going to think about you that way? You don't hear that much when it comes to a guy. What are people going to think about you? It's always been a woman. You're holding your family's pride. All the, like, you have all these responsibilities on your shoulder solely because of what you identify as. And it's incredibly unfair. Um, a lot of my cousins are boys and I've watched them growing up too get a lot more privilege, a lot more freedom than I would get. Even if they're around like the same age I am, we would be same age, everything, but they would still be allowed to do a lot more than I am. Like how Mama said earlier, a lot of girls can't be out after sunset but I would watch all the guys go out after sunset, not come back until three in the morning. I don't want to be out until three in the morning, but at least let me be out until seven, eight o'clock, you know? And it's like, oh, like, again, good girls don't go, aren't out past sunset. And it's never made any sense to me whatsoever. And every time, like, every time you bring it up, everyone just always like brushes you off or they tell you, you got to, you're, they always try to silence you, but have a guy have a controversial opinion at a family party and everyone is sitting there like clapping their hands like, oh my God, my son can think for himself. Wow, how amazing. Meanwhile, you have the state of their daughter sitting there trying to think for themselves and they're like, stop that. People, no one's going to want to marry you if you talk like that, if you look like that, if you do this. I've had people tell me, why do you want to go to grad school so much? No one's going to want to marry, like no one's going to want you to marry their son if you have two degrees. They're going to think you're too smart for them. Because like Umayma said, they want the woman to be right, like want her to be successful, but right underneath the mat. It's threatening to them, which is something I will never understand. And even when like, it came to me moving out for university, a lot of people from Fort Mac, they move out to university because Fort Mac has nothing. We literally just had piano college, but it was this huge thing still that like, I was moving out people were like, whispering in my parents ears like oh you know what happens like when girls move out right they go wild they do all this stuff they do this do that and that didn't like as much as my parents like didn't want it to it did affect how they looked at me because now they're worried obviously they're going to be worried their parents they don't want me to go all over the rails but all these people are telling them that that like oh like brown girls when they move out before marriage you're letting her move out before marriage why don't you guys just move with her why don't you guys keep her under your wing? Because if you give her too much independence, she's not going to want to get married. And again, seeing myself, like seeing me as a woman, as just someone who's going to get married one day, I have no other value. Like they see me as like, I have no other value to that. They don't want to hear what I think, who I am, what my hobbies are, what my favorite color is even. They don't care about any of that. They just like, okay, are you cute? Are you skinny? Are you tall? perfect, you'd be great for my son. That's it. I'll never understand that. I think it's also so interesting and we've kind of, it has been brought up by Pino and Laiba of the aspect of men getting treated like kings when they come home from a long day of their nine to five or whatever. Um, it's so interesting how women are babied and how men are babied 
men are babied in the sense that they will get a fresh glass of water as soon as they walk through the door. There will be a nice steaming hot plate of food ready on the dinner table for them. You know, their, their laundry will be done, clean, folded, steamed, ironed, everything. Their clothes will be laid out. I've heard of women doing that for their fully adult grown husbands. Um, you know, they get babied in all those quote unquote positive and beneficial aspects, right? Just because they are bringing in the money. And that is, it is a big deal to bring in the money to be able to support your household, but it is not the end all be all. Whereas the way that women are babied, it's in the rules, it's in the restrictions and the limitations of what you can and cannot do. Oh, you'll be able to do that when you reach this milestone, when you graduate this level of education, when you get married, when you have a child, et cetera, et cetera. There's always a timeline placed on your entire life. You know, you're never just someone, you're always someone's daughter, someone's wife, someone's mother, and then someone's grandmother, and then you're someone in the grave. You're never, you never get to be your own, not only independent person as someone who can live in your own apartment, in your own space, but just independent in your own identity. Um, and that I think is the biggest difference between a man existing and a woman existing in this world, regardless of where you live. Um, you're always, your existence is always owed to someone else, which is so funny because then we will hear in lyrics in the media that we should be thankful to the woman of our society because they're the one birthing us and whatever you know whether inspirational feminism kind of quotes everyone wants to place out in the world but really like what does that mean no you're still keeping us beneath your feet and regardless of how many progressions we make advancements we make and how smart we are how educated we become and whatever we do you're always going to try to push us back in those corners and closets and dark rooms yeah no what you also is really profound because like everyone here comes from different backgrounds different cultures but there's just that common perception of what a woman is right supposed to do and be so yeah you all really said it well it's, it's normalized right um but on that note I will say what does woman empowerment mean to you all once again, for the listeners who don't know, we are called Women Empowering Women Student Groups. So this is the question that we always ask. Yeah, really the golden question. Um, I think for us as a group, it's a lot about acceptance. It's a lot about, it doesn't matter what your background is, what you look like, where you're from, where you've grown, what you're studying. It, we want to be able to provide a space for you. Um, and I've had some interesting conversations with guys at school who say, woman pying woman, haha, you're all pink, your whole feed is pink, like, haha, you're not going to let men join. And it's like, where does it say that, first of all? Second of all, you take up so many spaces. Isn't it okay for us to have one space for ourselves? We can really be ourselves and support each other without the stigma of, oh my God, you're being too emotional. You're being too dramatic. Oh my God, like, why is everything pink? So I like pink. We like pink. Our founder likes pink. We're honoring her. Like it's, yeah, our walls are pink. That's okay. It does not matter. It does not have to be that serious. It does not have to be that gendered. First of all, it's a color at the end of the day. 
we all see it. It's not like all of a sudden you're pink colorblind just because you have an XY chromosome. Like it's not that serious. Um, and so for us, it is just about acceptance for everyone. And with that acceptance naturally comes the empowerment, inspiring and motivating aspects of our lives. You know, how can we push people and women in our communities to be better if we're still placing guidelines on who they can be and how they can exist so it's really just wholly come as you are and we will try our best to really push you to be the best of who you can be I would agree um I think empowerment is such a broad term and I know when I first heard it I like I said I was uncomfortable because like that's that's a lot but I think understanding that empowerment is so many different things um and I think at its most basic level empowering women as a woman is empowering myself it's believing in myself it's pushing myself um to open doors to get in these spaces to do things like that because there are people coming behind me um I I work as a mentor with the faculty of science um and something that's awesome every year I get a bunch of 20 kids every year to watch over for an entire first year. There's a lot of ups and downs for everybody. But I think one thing that was really surprising this year, that's my last year, um, I was kind of like, yeah, like I've given out all the advice I can give. Like it's just going to be a re repeat. Um, but there was this new uh, student that came in and I, I looked at her and I was like, this looks like me. This looks like me. Uh-oh. <laughs> And it has been like all the advice I've given her is advice I needed at those moments. Um, and I think that's when I recognize what empowerment really is. Like it, it can feel like such a big mantle to take on that, you know, every woman out there, I got to give her something. But to give every woman out there something can be as simple as just being me. It's, it's being the me that I am going through the experiences that I go through and then that willingness to overcome and turn around and share. Um, it's great to raise money as we do as an organization to put action behind that. But in your day to day, I don't think people understand how easy it can be. And it can get complex, obviously, especially when women come in so many different forms, um, so many different identities, so many different religions, backgrounds, cultures, everything. Um, and you can get lost in that feminism, if in that women should be allowed to do this, that you go to the point of women have to. And I think taking that step back and being like, mm -mm, we're all on different journeys, but more importantly, we all have different goals. Like as a woman trying to empower other women, my end goal is allowing everyone to pick their own and paving my own way so that another girl that comes up behind me can choose my path. But that same girl can pick a completely different path. I'm not doing what I do to open these doors for like the rest of society. Um, I know when I was doing my applications, this um, term for medical school, um, it was something I had to answer. It was like, I don't think I went into these spaces. Like I need to pave a way for black women here. Um, but understanding that just by being me in these spaces, I have opened that space up for black women. Academia is very color-coded it's very closed no matter whether it's scientific academia or 
arts or any sort of academia is just closed. And like the fact that I'm in the space that I am and doing the work that I do because I love it is awesome. Because then the girls that are coming up behind me are asking me, hey, oh, how did you get in there? And I can actually point them and be like, these are the resources I used. And I can give them these tips and be like, this is what I did so that you can avoid the mistakes I made and get the dubs that I got. Will it hurt just a little bit that you got it easier than me? Yeah. But I think that's most of the joy. It's that I, I went through those struggles. My story that empowering women, I first had to learn how to empower myself. I had to learn how to believe in myself. I had to learn to define what womanhood meant for me in order to then understand, okay, now I can turn around and give to my community. Because something, so for me, empowerment starts at home. It's empowering myself. And it's hard every day to wake up and be like, I'm a woman in STEM. Woo! That's girl boss, gatekeep, gaslight. Let's go. That's my mantra for today. Um, definitely to piggyback off of what Ipinu and Umaima said, um, I heard a quote the other day where it was saying, um, if you're questioning how to be effectively compassionate to others, you gotta think of it like it's a mirror. You wanna, you wanna be a reflection of compassion for this person so they can see in this mirror, the, they, can, they can see compassion looking back at them. But in order to do that, you need to consistently clean your own mirror. So you must always practice compassion for yourself. So you may reflect your own compassion on and your love for yourself onto others. And I think that's so important when it comes, that's where my meaning of empowering woman comes from. Like Apinu said, like you gotta be compassionate to yourself. You gotta love yourself. You wanna be this reflection of love and compassion and being proud of who you are and providing this safe space for other women. Because a lot of the trauma that women go through is, or sorry, um, the essence of trauma is not being seen. And a lot of the trauma that we go through as women is because we're not being seen, we're not being heard. So being able to provide that space where a woman can feel heard, they can feel seen for who they are, not just for their background or anything that just like, of who, just of who they are and purely that, whoever they're showing to you, not their hardships or anything, just them as a whole, being able to validate one another make each other feel like, you know what, you, you're valid. You know, you're not just a product of someone else. You're not a result of someone else. You're not an extension of somebody else. You were you. And I think that's something, that, like that's something um, the group really shows off like within each other. It's why I think we was running really well because we're able to provide that safe space for each other. Like we've had long conversations of, all the things that we've been through and stuff and be able to just listen to each other, not try to fix each other's problems, but to be able to just listen to each other. Cause a lot of time, maybe you just don't have someone to listen to about these things and giving them the strength to be able to talk about what they go through, being able to give them the strength of like, Hey, like you can do this, this thing that you want to do really badly. You can do that. Why not? Screw what everybody else says. Being a, a powering woman is being able to just accept everyone like for who they are, not trying to put them in this box that everyone else tries to put us in. Because if anyone knows what it's like, it's us, right? 
and I yeah I just think at the end of the day like like Ipinu said like it starts from yourself for sure and getting rid of that internalized misogyny that we've all kind of been like forced into and being able to heal that which again is a never-ending process because there's always improvements that you can make but being able to recognize that there are issues going on and these issues need to change and being able to again like provide that safe space for everyone to question these issues because a lot of times you're not allowed to question these issues in certain spaces you have to keep it to yourself you have to internalize everything and that takes a huge toll on your mental health and that can affect your education your job whatever it is that you're doing your housework so just being able to authentically let women be who they are is i would say not just my definition but we's definition of empowering women and yeah Thank you, Umema, Ipinu, and Laiba for joining us today. We loved hearing all your different opinions, stories, and perspectives. You are all such inspiring people, and thank you so much for leading such an amazing team. We are honored to be a part of it. So that's it for today's episode. If you would all like to keep up with our student group, don't forget to check us our IG at UA underscore WEW or our website at W4W.ca. And to all our listeners, thank you for listening. We hope you stay empowered and stay tuned for our next episode.